Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way podcast. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by my paid subscribers who generously allowed me to post the podcast episodes for free to give maximum exposure to the guests, also to grow my brand a little bit. So thank you for people that pay real money for me to have um, opinions that are sometimes true. <laughs> uh, so today I am joined by Joel Morgan. Joel was introduced by a mutual friend of ours, a dear friend, Bobby. Thank you, Bobby, for this, for listening to your intuition. And Joel is a, um, a polymath in many ways. He's a performance coach, an inspirational speaker, an author, and he's the pastor of a Presbyterian church in Richmond, Virginia. And as you know, with the third way, I like an unconventional and so normally, if you say someone's a performance coach, inspirational speaker, and a pastor, you either yawn a little bit or you cringe a little bit. And in the case of Mr. Joel Morgan, neither of those things are true. Welcome, Joel. Hey, it's good to be here. And man, that's quite an introduction. <laughs> uh, well, um, we had a great visit on your Dropping Keys podcast, which I'll link to um, in the show notes. And as we were talking, I was like, man, I got to have you on. You're, you are a third way thinker. And it's interesting what we bonded over so quickly was, you know, um, life's transitions, um, um, the, the power of having an amazing partner. Um, the, and then the, how do you, <laughs> how do you navigate the, uh, being a member of the world's most broke, broken brand? So, yeah. Yeah. That's, so anyway, that it's, I'm just excited that you're on. Yeah, no, I'm, it's, it's, it's great to be here. I can't wait to see what, what, what we sort of get into in the next, you know, 25 minutes or so. Yes. So the topic actually that came up out of this was a, I think I've had it on your website and it was just a phrase that jumped out and the topic is an uncommon life. It's an interesting turn of phrase. And so um, I wanted to dive into, well, let me ask you, was there a moment where you were like, I'm going to have an uncommon life? Or was it a dawning? Like, how did you arrive at using that language? That's always fascinating for me is how language matches someone's perception of where they're at. Yeah. And I think that that, I think you, you've hit upon something there is that um, you, you wrote a piece today, as a matter of fact, and, and put it out about a heart, like a heart led life or a heart centered yeah. life. I can't remember the exact phrasing. And and, and what I was thinking about in, in an uncommon life, and I think I say this on my on my website somewhere, is uh, an uncommon life may not look any different from the outside, from someone outside looking in. Like someone might look at your life and go, oh, here's what Justin does. He has this business. He's got a family. You know, he seems like a good dude, whatever. In your life, you get up, you eat, you you move about your way. But but um, but but what you bring to it is uncommon. Meaning you're you're you've reoriented your life in a way that that makes it makes it not common anymore for you. It's you're not just grinding it out. You're not just walking through you know moving through the paces, beating the drum for somebody else. You're you're moving through it in a very intentional, if we want to use that word, mm -hmm. way. And and one of the words that I've come to to think about how how you do that, how you begin that process is um the word uncovery 
U N C O V E R Y. And I, and I love this phrase and I didn't know that it was actually out in the zeitgeist. I thought that I was such a smart guy that I had sort of coined this thing, you know, but of course, um, smart guys like me, we realize that we're not all that smart. Uncovery in the urban dictionary um, has a definition and it really means that you, you, you ask, especially if you're someone who, who does something a little too much and it controls your life, such as drinking or, or overeating or undereating or whatever, and you might ask the question, like, what would my life be like if I wasn't doing X so much? Mm-hmm. But for me, uncovery, and then you uncover things. You begin to uncover what's keeping you from what your life would be like. And, and for me, um, it doesn't have to do with an addiction or, or, or some sort of condition, but more of just trying to figure out what do I want my life to feel like? on a given day. And if I, and I, if I put that word uncommon, if I want it to be a little more uncommon, what's common out there? Well, numbness, mm-hmm. um, boredom, apathy. And so for me, an uncommon life is that I'm actually interested and intentional about, about the things that I'm doing. Again, it may look from the outside, like, like everybody else's life, but to mm-hmm. me and to my family and to the people that I'm in a relationship with, like they get it like, Oh, it's different. Just like, like we intuited about each other when we met. Right. That's a great kind of jump off, jump off to the first question I wanted us to both answer. And, you know, we're, you're a coach and a pastor, which is kind of like coaching too. And then I coach in multiple forms. And so I'm curious about what are some of the primary limiting mindsets that you see preventing people from living an uncommon life? So stuff that you run into on a consistent basis when you're coaching or, or, or teaching people. This is just how it's going to be. Okay. This is just how it's going to be. I, I, coach, I coach people, even, even people who are looking to make changes in their life. And, and that's a phrase that will come up in a coaching conversation like, well, you know, this, 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 and this, but that's just how it's going to be. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it is, if you say that it is, and that's not a coaching way of handling that, but, but it is, if you say it is, if, if it's just going to be that way. I mean, I, I really believe a lot of people accept the work that they do, they, they come at it um, the way that they do because they, they don't, haven't really asked the question, what would my life be like if I didn't look at it that way or if I didn't accept it this way? Right. Um, so that's a, just a limiting belief because it's just, this, this is the way it's going to be. Yeah, that, I, that's interesting. I do see that a lot, especially in where I'm from in, in, in kind of religious rural America, which is, this is my life now. You know, this is what this, and they use, you know, what they think is a statement of faith. And well, it's not just, it's not God's plan for me to, you know, to whatever. I'm always like, really? I mean, that seems like an easy out. Um, you know, and I know, man, life sucks sometimes. Life is hard and I would never disparage someone's experience, but I would challenge their perspective on their experience. That's my main complaint with rural white Americans about like, what are you bitching and moaning about? compared to the other people in society that actually are dealing with real oppression it's because somebody wants to make you wear a mask or, you know, your, your, your gas, gas prices are high, you know, like, yeah, okay. We, well, those are complaints, but there's something, I don't know. There's something about that. That is I, the, the perspective or experience needs to be challenged. I think, I think for me, I mean, I've been coaching a long time in some form or another, I do definitely see what you said, but I also see this idea, this belief that 
or this mindset that happiness is ex- some sort of external thing. Yes. And, and I, and I, I, I have been there. Yes, I have been there. And I have many things in my life that other people want to have. I have an amazing family. I have an amazing partner. I have great friends. I am self-employed, you know, like, but those things don't make me happy. I became happy and then I saw the value of those things or I attracted them to some extent too. Um, And this idea that seeps in constantly of, I'll be happy when, I'll be happy if, I'll be happy. And that, you know, it's, it's out there. It's not in here. And something that Viktor Frankl and John McCain and Nelson Mandela and Hurricane Carter, you know, going down the line, they all arrived at the same conclusion is that you're, no matter how shitty your circumstances, it doesn't actually determine your happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love, I, and I love how Viktor Frankl turns around the, the, you know, meaning of life question yeah. is that we shouldn't be asking life, you know, you know, basically what's, the meaning of life. Life is asking us, what meaning are you bringing to this? That's right. What, what I, you have life, but what meaning are you, are you bringing to that? I want to go back to the God's plan thing, because this is something that's, that's driven me crazy for a long yeah. time is um, I, I have um, worked with and known a number of very faithful Christian females who at a young age were, were taught you know, God has a plan for you and, and they're heterosexual. So God has a man for you. And, and so every man they ever met or ever dated, they, they were like, is they were always asking God, is this, is this God's man for me? Is this God's man for me? Is this God's man for me? And as soon as that man didn't measure up to being God's man for them, it was like, okay, this isn't God's plan for me. So I'm out of this relationship. And then they would get to their late thirties and early 40s, and they would go, well, I thought God had a plan for me with a man for me. And my question always was, well, were you holding that man up to a God standard that isn't that isn't very helpful? Because that God's plan thing, that's a heavy duty thing to put on our shoulders right. about what God's plan is for me. So I just, I wanted to talk about that because yeah. I've just seen a number of, of, of quite unhappy people who really were lovely, wonderful women, primarily, who, you know, had dated some really great people, but they left them or, or went their ways because it, they, well, that this clearly isn't God's man for me. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen so many variations of that too. And I remember, um, you know, growing up in a fundamentalist church, spending many years in it, like physically, but anyway, I've talked about that at length, but that, Everybody talked about how happy they were, but they sure looked miserable. Mm. They didn't have smile lines. Their faces were drawn. You know, I, I remember reading about unspeakable joy, and I'm where the hell is the unspeakable joy around here? Right. Like, <laughs> right. You know, like it's not know. being spoken about. Justin, yeah, come on, man. We're, we right. we we speak about we don't even speak about that in our homes or in our churches. It's, it's right. so unspeakable. We don't. Right. We, do, we can't wear it on our faces. It's like right. it's like Presbyterians, the the frozen chosen. I'm always like, hey. This is a really wonderful thing that you're that you're that you're preaching or you're saying or you're singing. Let your face know. Exactly. Well, that kind of goes into the second question, which is what 
so we, we talked about limiting mindsets, but what are the mindsets or social conditionings that you've had to change um, in to, for you to have an uncommon life? Mm. Let's make it personal. Yeah, yeah, very personal. Um, well, I, I mean, I'm always in the midst of, of challenging and changing my mindsets, Justin. I mean, that, I just, I function that way. I'm a very... Um, as as a as a coach of mine said, um, Joel, you, you're 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 wired up to be unsettled. That's mm. that's a gift that you have is that you're going to be unsettled. And so, just if you if you can begin to accept the fact that you're going to be unsettled and use it as a gift, that's going to be a lot better. Boy, was that a that was that a mind blowing mindset change for me? Because I always thought if I was unsettled, then that was a problem. So that was that was a mindset that that I needed to change. One of the other one of the other. Um, things, one of the other mindsets that I'm, that I'm working on now is acceptance. Mm -hmm. Like that there is, there is a piece of, of life where this is just where I am right now. Like, this is the way, like you were talking, you and I were talking before we got on and recorded about, I have a lot of irons in the fire and I'm sort of waiting to see what gets hot. And I'm not very good at that. I want to, I want to move. I want to, I want to, I want to have action. I want to, but there's an acceptance to, and, to, and a trust. That's another mindset I've had to really work on is a, a trust that I am doing good things. I am doing, if we want to use this stronger word, right things. And those things are, are going to produce something. Yeah. They're going to produce something. It's just, and it may just take more time and I have to accept that that's going to happen. I also had to accept um, that, you know, whatever I think isn't true. Mm. Um, that every thought that I have isn't a fact. Mm. And, and, I've, and I've worked very hard on that. I've been a meditator off and on, more on in the last eight years than off. Um, and, and to really work with my mind to really work. I mean, it's a very simple Buddhist meditation practice that I practice where I, I focus on the breathing. And when a thought comes up, I see what it is and I go, Oh, I'm thinking. And then I let it, and then I let it go off because I, it's not a fact and it, I don't have to get carried away with the story of it, whether it's something really wonderful you know, about a, about a lovely experience I just had with my wife in the bed the night before, or whether it's a, or whether it's something where, you know, I feel like I'm a, I'm a POS and, 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 you know, I've done, I've done something horribly wrong. I, I can go, neither one of those are necessarily facts, those thoughts I can, I can go, Oh, I'm thinking and let them go. That's been a huge mind shift for me. And something that I, I mean, I practice that every single day. I meditate every single day to work on that kind of letting go um, and, and being much more of a free thinker in that yeah. way that my mind, my thoughts can flow rather than get so focused on one particular thought or another. So those are some mindsets that I've, that I mean, and some of them recent and some of them over time. Yeah. Um, yeah, that resonates with me. Um, thinking about this question for myself, I think it's um, what's I've had to change the most is this idea that life, but um, which includes faith and religious, you know, type beliefs, was some sort of formula that was like a had a reward system, and if you did all the right things, you were supposed to get the rewards, and if you did all the right things and didn't get the rewards, it means that well, that's just your lot in life. Back to the prior mindset to, to some extent. Yeah. And then associate with that is kind of punishment. 
Like I've had to release the idea that um, that somehow there's this direct correlation between difficult times and somehow air quotes here, God is displeased. Mm. And that, you know, classic angry dad archetype of God that, you know, permeates fundamentalism in particular, um, as opposed to evangelicalism where God is like the uh, cool stepdad that, um, has disciplinary problems, you know? Right. Right. Uh, Well, and I just remember, I mean, I, you know, um, and I know you, the, you'll know this reference, you know, the, the Rob Bell, um, you know, he did a whole teaching on the gods are not angry. Right. And, and I think that is that, that was, a, that was, it wasn't revolutionary for me. I didn't grow up with that angry God sort yeah. of thing, but I did have, I did definitely have that mindset you're talking about. Like, I feel like I'm doing all the right things. So mm-hmm. I must be a complete F up because I'm not getting the things that I'm, yeah. that I'm and supposed so to be getting. You arrived, I arrived at the conclusion that, well, that like, um, there's something wrong with me. Um, and, and especially because the things that made other people happy, didn't make me happy. Mm. And the things that other people, you know, so, so then you get into, get into the comparison. And I think then it all kind of sums down to, I've had to, in the last two years in particular, had to retrain my brain to be happy Yeah, because that kind of immersion from childhood trauma religious abuse or spiritual abuse and this pervasive angry God punishment. You didn't follow the formula sin again, that type of thing all creates a mindset of negativity, a mindset of scarcity. And I still, even as I say it, I still say it with a shaky voice that I don't believe in negativity Mm. because it's still there. It still slinks around. It's there's still that, that, uh, that, that jackal that shows up, that jackal of negativity that shows up and is slinks through th- around the corner and in the shadows. Yeah. And I still feel it there. And the difference is similar to what you're saying about meditation is I just observe it now. It's like, Oh, look at that. I have some negativity in this area. And then I can apply curiosity and compassion, which are the two keys to use your term that unlock most doors. Yeah. So, Well, here's a, so here's a question for just for everybody who's ever going to listen to this and for you and me, Mm -hmm. what if there's nothing wrong with us? Yes. What if you operated from the standpoint that there's nothing wrong with you? And I kind of like the way Jordan Peterson says it when he says, uh, um, he says, this is paraphrasing, but he says, do not accept yourself as you are because you could be so much more. Yeah. And you paraphrase that with love yourself as if you were whole and then watch what happens. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. I want to go back to, we were asking about mindsets change. I mean, one of the, one of the reasons why I became a coach and got, uh, you know, thousands of hours of training and have spent, you know, hundreds of hours coaching one-on-one and coaching teams and all that is, is um, I <clears throat> throughout a lot of my life. And then at one point I was diagnosed clinically depressed and I spent 15 years on meds and going to see therapists and whatever, and never really got better. I mean, I, I was better and I was worse and I was better and I was worse. And finally, something just broke in me when my doctor said, oh, we're just need, we're going to need to do some more drugs, basically. And I was just like, there's no way. There is no, my brain, but I'm like, there's no way. And so I, so basically, I ended up beginning a process where I changed my identity. 
where I, where I, where I, where I just decided I'm never going to call myself clinically depressed again. I'm never going to own that label again in my life. Yeah. I may have ups and downs. I may have this and that I may have shadowy days, but I'm never going to call myself clinically depressed. And then I use coaching techniques um, and then, and, and morning routines. And I got off of the meds and all of that. And, and I changed, I, I, I broke that mindset of, you know, I'm broken and this is my label. And I think that about a lot of people, we label kids so early now, like, why wouldn't you live into that label? You've been called yeah. that since you were little. So why wouldn't you believe this label, man, that, that is a, that's a huge shift that's coming for us is when, is when these kids that got labeled all these things, when they turn 30, 35 and, and they wake up and go, I don't have to be this anymore. Right. I don't have to live into this anymore. I think that goes into just a general rule of living an uncommon life as you have to be willing to a get rid of identities that other people put on you and b not over identify. It's like yeah. don't have a bumper sticker life where all your bumper stickers are on the same topic whether it's you know guns, Jesus, LGBTQT, whatever like have some diversity of thought about who you are from because the identity is fluid. It's something that another guest and a friend of mine, uh, Doug Brackman, uh, from, who wrote the book Driven, talks about is it's not who am I, it's what am I? Because mm. it's, that's what we attach our identity to. What am I doing? And we are what we're doing. Uh, we're not, you know, because the who we are, that identity of who we are can shift for, uh, in seasons of life. So now I'll be chewing on that for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing, especially, you know, his book is about ADHD and and the, you know, being what he calls driven, which definitely I identify with in many ways. And it's, it's, it's part of like, you talked about the irons on the fire or the trans times of transition is it's, I'm going to allow who I am to be fluid mm. and I'm gonna therefore allow what I am to be fluid. And, you know, the heart knows who we are and the mind is like a drunk, like drunken monkey with a label maker, you know, like, <laughs> You can't, you can't trust any of that, you know, because it, it, it's sometimes wrong or it's sometimes wrong and always temporary other than just being a human. I mean, and, and a father, like once you're a dad, you're a dad. Um, but so I wanted to close with one question and kind of looping back into a, a common theme. I almost called this podcast sex, politics and religion, because those are three fun things to talk about that make people yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but from the standpoint of religion is, I have noticed that a lot of people, when they go through the deconstruction process, they come out the other end and they are atheists or maybe agnostic. Um, I have in my deconstruction become even more of a person of faith, less, way less religious, but way more a person of faith. But I'm somewhat of an anomaly with that. So I'm curious, in order to live, like when you think about living an uncommon life, what role do you see theology or religion uh, playing in an uncommon life is an uncommon life incompatible with being having having a religion or having a a, a spiritual belief system. Mm. Well, I think one thing because I love how you differentiate religion and 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 faith or mm -hmm. uh, I don't love the word spirituality necessarily because it yeah, gets neither, called yeah. everything, but yeah. that's that's just a personal thing. And I yeah, Rob Bell, say, everything is spiritual. So. Yeah, right. I mean, it, yeah, and it is. And and so, but I do think I do think that that people who live an uncommon life are religious about things that help them get that 
that pers- different perspective on their life. They're religious about looking inside of their life and, and saying, is this, is, you know, what, what could my life be like if I wasn't doing X, Y, or Z so much, or if I wasn't doing you know, what to, 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 they continue to peel back the onion or, or open up or crack the egg or crack the heart open, whatever they can. They're very religious about that. Theologically, I, I think that, I mean, it goes back to you talk about the third way. I mean, I've always, I, I, one of the things, reasons why I have such an affinity for Buddhism is, is just because there's such third way thinking there. There's a, there's a third path, you know, and, and I've, I have a friend who calls me the most conservative and the most liberal person she's ever met in her life because she can never pin me down. She never quite knows where I'm going to land on something because right. I think about things and I don't, I, I, I don't have an ideology that I, that I, that I adhere to just as a matter of course. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm fumbling around a little bit about the theology question, just because I, I don't think that it, that it precludes, um, you know, theology, but I think the theology then becomes an operating system. Yeah. Right. It becomes a way that we understand that we begin to understand how, how things are. And, and um, I mean, even Einstein, right. Was, was talking about um, a benevolent universe. Yeah. Right. And so, and so to begin thinking about that's, if that's, if your operating system is a benevolent universe, that's a that's way different than an uncaring universe, yeah, or fixed universe, or yeah. or a fixed universe, or 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 there is this there is a way, and if you aren't on the oh, a yeah, way, yeah. you are s c r e w e d into hell, like you yeah. you know like yes, yeah, love that, I love that idea, it and and it speaks to me that like you said, operating system is that, um, that to me, the the role of religion and theology is a framework for trying to navigate the unknown. Mm. That's what it's for. It's not a framework for the known. Yeah. Um, Because if it's known, we know this even just from, from, you know, the Bible, um, that, you know, that, that, that once you've named God, God, then it's no longer God. Mm. Um, you know, so the unnameable, and yeah. to me, there's a there's this. It's this sometimes referred to as God is the space is the space between everything we don't know. So, um, and what that does is it requires a different kind of navigation system, which is really being heart centric. And I was asked the other day about like what's the process for being more like conscious, and I said, learn your energy, and then trust it, mm. and. Um, I think that there's a certain level of this too that is around intelligent design of belief systems as well, or co-collaborative or co-created designs. And a great book by Jamie Wheel called Recapture the Rapture. And it's basically how to create your own religion. And he's doing it in somewhat of jest related to starting a cult and things like that, but breaking down this idea that it is a type of operating system. And I just add to it from my own and our own observation that it's a framework for trying to understand the unknown or the unknowable. Yeah. Well, what I love about, um, you know, uh, one, and I, I can't remember who said it, but it was talking about mystery. What's a mystery? Well, a mystery is something that's so true. You can never plumb the depths of its truth. That's You're right. always discovering more truths about it. And that I love that because we've often, especially in the church, we've treated mystery as something, well, 
That's a yeah. mystery. No, 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 that's a mystery. Yes. And this is true about it. And this is true about it. And this is true about it. And this is true. And you just keep tumbling down the rabbit hole in a beautiful, beautiful way and discovering more and more things about that mystery that 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 open you up to to the truth about maybe even the truth about yourself. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, religion, at least in the in the sense of Christianity was, you know, the first 400 years was was a mystical movement. And it was when it shifted to becoming a framework for how to behave in a society that it started to lose something. And, and now, now look where we're at. Um, and I think it goes to, I have a, a, a keynote I give called the art of unfinishing. And then my whole point is what you're saying is it's a mystery, not, well, I don't know. It's a mystery. It's no, it's a mystery. It's about childlike delight of stepping into it again and again. And if you've over-invested in certitude, you cannot have an uncommon life. Those are incompatible to me. Mm. If you're mm. willing to let things die, if you're willing to let shit go, if you're willing to have your opinions and views changed based off of emerging realities, now you're living an uncommon life because you are surfing, you're surfing mystery or you're in the river of mystery. You're not, you're not, clinging to the side of the bank and saying that you're you're in the in in the, in the river um and it's it's like you said before we hit record about surrendering or acceptance you know and i think i think that what is more uncommon than to when somebody says well what do you what's next for you and you say i don't know yeah not, not i've got i've got a lot of ideas i got a lot of ideas <laughs> we'll see yeah and it's not passivity Right. It's receptivity. And to me, the essence of receptivity is faith. And I think that's where it comes in. And we just need to upgrade our definition of faith, which is about navigating the unknown as opposed to, you know, proving to someone else what you think is the truth. So any other parting words? Uh, oh, for gosh. Uh, you know, I, I just think, I think it's been, it's been fun. It feels like we've been sort of in rapid fire. And, and I mean, you know, I think you and I went for an hour on my podcast yeah. pretty easily. We, you and I could probably do, you know, one of these every other week and, yeah. and, and maybe two and, and yeah. never, and never quit finding the depths of the mystery. So, right. yeah, uh, because it is, it is, it is endless and it is, you know, their consciousness you know, eternity or whatever you want to call it is that it's all, there's always something to explore. Um, you know, I think uh, Michelangelo's uh, alleged last words, are, I still have so much left to learn. Mm. And so all I will say, we still have so much left to talk about, Joel. Um, yes, we so do. We will do that again very soon. Awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much. It's been fun. Thank you.